Welcome to the Frontline Response to Health and Homelessness podcast series. This series is based on the articles published in the March 2020 edition of Parity Magazine, which is available on the link accompanying this podcast. That magazine and this podcast series give voice to those with lived experience of homelessness, those working on the front line, and those that support the sector in delivering services to people who are homeless. My name is Dan Fleming, and I'm delighted to introduce our host, John Willis, who leads the inclusive health team for St. Vincent's Health Australia. John will introduce our guest in a moment. As we're recording during the COVID-19 pandemic, John and our guest will be with us by phone for this episode. John Willis, over to you. Thanks, Dan. Um, I'm very delighted to welcome Charlotte Jones, who's a lawyer slash solicitor. I might get you to tell me the difference about that, Charlotte, later, but um, you work for the Mental Health Legal Centre in Victoria, so I'd love you to have you on the podcast. How are you going? I'm very well, thank you. I'm holed up at home with two children and everybody working from home, but it is great to be with you too. And really pleased to see this going ahead during this time. Great. It was one of those innovative ways we thought we could still get the word out, even though we couldn't have conferences and those sort of things. So, look, thanks for being part of this. So, your your particular um, article is about an innovative partnership that's about improving the legal response for clients experiencing mental health issues and homelessness. And it sounds like your legal centre is part of that community legal centre's frame network but yours is very specifically about mental health and you might tell us a little bit more about that as we go into this but your article focuses on developing um, what's known as a health justice partnership with nurses and lawyers working together. Now maybe firstly could you tell us a little bit about your organisation and where it fits but also just a little bit about Bolton Clark as well. Yeah, so down here in Victoria, we have a mental health legal centre that services people who are either having treatment as mental health clients or experiencing mental illness. We've been around since 1989, um, supporting the community, and we have endeavoured to that we give advice to those who are often voiceless. Um, either within the system and within the prison system as well. So transacting both of those areas. Um, Bolton Clark obviously has been around for over 200 years. Most people know it as the Royal District Nursing Service, um, but it amalgamated a couple of years ago. But the Homeless Persons Project has actually been running since 1978 um, and is servicing across some of the most complex living environments Um, that people experience from streets, parks, caravan parks, boarding houses and any other kind of crisis accommodation. So Mm. it was a very logical fit that really since the end and closure of all those big hospitals, a lot of our clients and their clients are the same people. Yeah. Yeah, the RDNS has been around a long time doing some great stuff. But 1989, I know that year well. I got married that year, Charlotte. So I know how long ago that is. Um, And it's a few years. Um, Great. So that's interesting about um, your particular role as a a service and partnering with RDNS. It seems like a perfect connection, as you say, the same kind of clients. Um, So you talk about in this particular article how you developed a health justice partnership. Um, now these have been around. I, I've had I've had contact with them in in our hospitals at St Vincent's in Melbourne and Sydney, so they're around Australia and they're also overseas. Can you tell us a little bit 
a bit of a background about the program and how it works and what are the benefits of a health justice partnership? Well, I think every health justice partnership tends to be quite unique. They often specialise around um, domestic violence on women, um, putting them into um, a myriad of health environments. Hospitals um, are a really common one, um, trying to align them often with um, antenatal and postnatal services. For us, this was very much a marriage that came about because we went to see them and the symmetries were so aligned in what the nurses were doing and the lawyers. Yeah. Um, we found that the nurses were really receptive immediately to having lawyers involved. One of the things that I've often seen with health justice partnerships is sometimes doctors and lawyers make for strange bedfellows. Yeah, yeah, I can. <laughs> that's what comes the first impression. <laughs> and what we found when you tend to place them with other healthcare professionals, whether it be a podiatrist, physiotherapist, nurses, they automatically see the benefits of being able to go, oh, somebody's told me something, it falls in this box, I don't know what to do with it, if it's the lawyer. Mm. And the lawyer takes it away and it can be anything from somebody saying I'm in rent arrears to I'm at risk because I'm elderly and I'm being forced to do things I don't want to do with my assets through to um, people who are just being neglected um, in any kind of environment. So so just just on this, this health connection to lawyers, what was different about working with RDNS, do you think, than maybe some of the other, you know, HCPs in hospitals? Um, I think the, the first thing was we hadn't met anybody else who worked to a model that we often do, which is outreach, where uh-huh. you go to the person. It has to be person-centred and you go to them. So the idea that there would be a lawyer and they would ring them and they could sit and wait and the lawyer would then come was completely different. Not, we'll make an appointment, can you bring that person to the office? We said, well, you're there, we'll get to you. Yeah, wow, that's good. So it was designed to be totally responsive to what the healthcare professionals needed. Mm. And And no switchboards. (laughs) (laughs) So did you... Does every does every kind of lawyer just just a bit off script here? Does every any kind of lawyer suit this kind of work, or do you need a particular kind no. of lawyer? To... <laughs> you need very particular kinds of lawyer. Um, and the lawyer who works on our health justice partnership, um, I probably get more inquiries off the nurses about my lawyer's well-being than I get about anything else. Ah. And they don't regard the lawyer as working for me. They regard the lawyer as working for the nurses and the nursing team and as one of their team. So it's a really interesting symbiosis of relationships. Mm. And they actually nominated my lawyer for lawyer of the year. Oh, wow. Great. Did she get it? (laughs) No, she didn't. I was gutted. (laughs) (laughs) But it was Uh. about, it it was so wonderful when they stood there and said, you need to get her an award. Oh, that's great. Now, the other thing that you talked about in your article, which we do love in our in our sector and it's been talked a lot more in the homeless sector, is about co-design. Now, I noticed you took a co-design approach and I'm, 
I'm interested as you develop this program, you've entitled Partners in Community. Tell us about how you took a co-design approach to do this. Well, I'm really fortunate. We work with an amazing evaluator on our program who was in place from the very first conversations around how we would build this. Yeah. Um, and they came again with a very clear mandate about co-design. And their premise was either you co-design it or I will leave. Right. That's what, we, <laughs> that's what we want to hear. <laughs> we will co-design every step of the way, not just the partners, but the clients. So, yeah. and the clients informed so much around how we operate, where we meet, how we see clients, um, how we give them information, how we disseminate information, who we can or can't talk to. All of that has been designed by our peers who we work with um, yeah, because cool. they understand the experience. We don't. We don't live it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's perfect. Now, the next question I've got for you is a little bit about um, outcomes. And I, and I suppose in, in saying this, I'd, I'd love to hear about how successful you are with some of the court proceedings maybe you go through. But through this partnership, you've actually been collecting a lot of data you've been getting some amazing outcomes by the looks of it. What, what are some of the outcomes you've been getting, but also what are the, some of the systemic legal issues that need changing to better support the people you're working with? If you can describe and talk a bit to that as well. So I suppose there's a couple of different things. Um, we've done 500 legal matters in the lifetime of the project, which is phenomenal. It wow. is a huge amount of issues. Mm. And it tells you how complicated people's lives get um, when they're facing these kind of problems. We've done everything from discover that people have hundreds of thousands of dollars in superannuation as they're dying and make sure that's gone to their children yep. to um, finding that people have rights over accommodation that they never knew they had and ensuring that they can then live in that accommodation. Yep. Um, we have had clients and probably one client in particular who, for me, um, typifies everything about this project and why it matters so much. He came to us um, having met his nurse in a really distressed state, and he's a New Zealander, which is probably quite apt at this point in time. <laughs> yep. Because he was a New Zealander, he'd run out of his six months of Centrelink and he couldn't have any more. Yeah. And we were put in touch with him because he had no money, no food, and he was being evicted. We I went thought, to court I thought on... there was no evictions during COVID-19. <laughs> well, <laughs> this is pre-COVID-19, so this was going on for about a year. Okay. Um, yep. So it's been going on for about the past year. When we started with him, he had no funds, and um, the biggest issue for us was him being evicted. He was still yeah. quite unwell and incredibly vulnerable. Mm. So we went into court on the eviction, and we said, well, hang on a minute. Um, he's got a load of superannuation claims because he's been working here for many, many years. So we want to try and access his superannuation, given how unwell he is. We got a lawyer onto that. In the interim, we got some interim payments to pay off his rent arrears. We stopped all the court proceedings. We got Queen's Fund money, which was just a bit of um, brokerage to make sure that he had food and the basics. Yeah. And then we got his superannuation paid. And that tipped out at just over a quarter of a million. Oh. Wow. 
So he is absolutely fine at the minute. He's doing okay. He's paying his rent and he's doing what he needs to do. But probably the most important thing was when he came in to talk to us about what it meant to be part of the project. And he said he'd made a decision and a plan that he was going to die on the following Friday. And he didn't when he met the lawyer. Wow. Wow, that's saving lives. And it's, it's, it's huge. When somebody actually sat there and said that in front of me, I, I could not quite understand the impact of what we do. That gave it a whole new level. And I can mm. look at my measures and my metrics, but that, um, that was mm. outstanding. We do know legal issues can be incredibly stressful for even us, you know, you know, people like myself yeah. who have got quite a lot of support and security, but you get involved in any kind of legal issue. It can be very stressful, let alone when your whole livelihood is being threatened, where you live, income. Yeah. Oh, that's and, a great, great outcome. Yeah. I mean, in terms of things like infringements, we dealt with over, over half a million dollars worth of fines that have been given to people on the street. And it's the kind of thing where they go, I can't apply for housing because they'll find me. So we just wipe it out. Now you can go and get your housing. Now you can start. We've dealt oh, so with that problem. So that's been a reason people have been nervous about getting a permanent place of residence. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. because people wow. can find them. Um, anything where people feel that they can be tracked or found makes them really, really anxious. Um, we've had instances where people have had things like personal safety intervention orders taken out against them to stop them accessing services. So trying to unpack those and say, you know, you need to recognise this person was really unwell at that time. Yeah. Yep. It wasn't something they do every day. Um, negotiating all of those things is incredibly complex. Um, yeah. And then looking at people who, you know, have been stranded in the wrong place, the wrong hospital, the wrong environment, and then supporting them and advocating them out of that. Yeah. Yeah, the battle, that, that concept of where people get banned from particular facilities or services because of a, an incident um, and, and, and often in mental health situation like having, having an episode, mm. that can cut off a whole lot of options for them, can't it? If, if, so that's really good that you can open those back up again. Yeah, yeah, it can. And it can also lead them, in, lead them into real vulnerability because they become ripe for exploitation by others because yeah. they're so scared of doing anything else. Um, particularly any kind of self-medication that might mm. lead them down a really, really dark path. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So let's just talk a little bit about, um, I mean, I've, you know, we've heard through the, the media, the legal systems had to adapt to the current COVID-19 epidemic and they're trying to do things differently in, as far as court proceedings go. I was just wondering from your perspective and your, you know, your team um, as, as lawyers working in partnership with the community health services, this, do you think this is going to permanently change the way you might operate the legal system in responding to these issues um, or not? Is it going to just be much the same? I think I'd like to think some things will change for the better. I'd like to think that we will look harder at why we evict somebody from home and think more closely about it. Um, down here in Victoria, we've just had the Residential Tenancies Act um, stalled, which was due to come into force in July, now won't come in until next January. Uh -huh. And whilst evictions are on hold, um, 
we are all concerned that some of this is just a waiting game. We've all seen commentary like landlords telling people to open super an and various things. So we've got a fair amount of concern about people thinking that they understand the legal system when they might not. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, is that certain courts have become very difficult to access. Family courts have seen a huge spike in cases. And this is going to make some of the processes for that access more complicated. So I'm hoping that we will adapt by finding ways to get matters on foot quicker. Um, mm. And I hope that will innovate its way through the system, through this crisis. I don't think we're there yet. I think we've got a fair way to go. Um, but I think that is possible. And I think we'll be able to learn some lessons ultimately from it. Fantastic. Um, look, I, I presume you're familiar with Common Ground, um, yes. a not-for-profit um, agency that off, offers, you know, supported a comp, but also offers a commercial real estate business as well. Uh, is there many not-for-profit landlords that might be a bit more lenient about tenancies and arrangements like Common Ground are? I think some are, and I think... It's also often very complex when you can deal with our clients who may have become very unwell, may have upset local neighbours at one point or another, yeah. and then trying to keep all those relationships working. Um, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. It doesn't. And I yeah. think that's as much to do with the individuals facilitating some of that conversation as it is anything else. Um, yeah. But I welcome any kind of housing that is not for profit, but particularly stable long-term housing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and also that landlords can reach out to a service like yours, um, or, you know, sorry, you know, um, real estate people who are managing properties to, to reach out to a service to try and stop things escalating to the point of eviction. Um, yes. Early intervention. Charlotte, we're coming to the end of our time for this conversation, but look, uh, look, you've sort of talked a little bit about a particular encounter, but was there any other story or encounter you'd like to share with us that inspires you for the work you've been working? How long you've been working in this, this kind of work? How long have you been doing it? <laughs> um, well, I started off in this kind of work about 20 years ago, originally with St Mungo's in London, um, working with homeless people in, in the streets in and around Centrepoint um, way back when. And I think the thing that inspires me the most is watching that perfect symmetry of relationships between client, lawyer and nurse. And um, one day one of the nurses rang me. Um, the lawyer that we have on this project is beautifully unassuming um, and Lucy is a fantastic lawyer um, but takes very little credit for some of her amazing outcomes. And um, the nurse had been sat at the back of the court and listened to this amazing piece of advocacy around Lucy and homelessness. Unbeknownst to Lucy um, and unbeknownst to me, the nurse and the client were convinced he was going to prison that day. Um, mm. And Lucy stood there passionately advocating for him. He didn't go to prison. Um, it did work. But the nurse said to me, but that judge's face, it never moved throughout everything she said. <laughs> <laughs> and she was so worried that this poor man was going to go back to prison. And Lucy just walked back into the office. Just I asked her, how did court go? And she said, oh, yeah, it was fine. 
sat down and carried on working. <laughs> it was the most remarkable example of you just change somebody's life. Everybody else knows it. You just regard it as your job every day. So it does take an extraordinary lawyer, um, which we spoke to earlier, but it also mm. takes an extraordinary team who refer all those cases to her and trust her to get the right results for those clients. So mm. as long as she's doing that, I'll keep battling government to give us money to make sure this fund and this project exists. Because for the nurses, it's hugely important now. Oh, that's beautiful. That's wonderful. And give a big pat on the back to that staff member. She sounds amazing. Charlotte, Thank it's you. been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. Thank you so much for, for spending some time with us. Thank you so much for the opportunity. And hopefully everybody keeps safe during this time. Best wishes. To subscribe to a printed copy of Parity Magazine, visit chp.org.au forward slash parity. This podcast series has been developed by St Vincent's Health Australia. For more information about St Vincent's, visit www.svha.org.au. The music track for this podcast is called Slow Burn by Kevin MacLeod, host of incompetech.filmmusic.io and is licensed under the Creative Commons 4.0 by Attributions Licence. This information, information about our guests and more can be found in the text under the podcast description. Thanks for listening.